Hello, and welcome to Fringe Legal, providing snackable bites on innovation, transformation, and knowledge management for legal professionals since March 2019. Firstly, thank you everyone for listening to this podcast. We've gone over 10,000 total downloads since the launch, which is unbelievable. I really appreciate your support. Please continue providing feedback, suggesting guests, and sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues if you think they'll find it valuable. On today's episode, we have Julia Selaski, who is the CEO of Legal. As we get into the episode, you'll hear a bit more about who she is, her background, and much, much more. But before we get started, I wanted to share a couple of things I took away from this conversation. The first one is understanding your customers and your clients is so important. You'll hear about how knowing this powers legal to pitch to the value that it brings to their customer base, to their potential customer base. When you can demonstrate understanding of and a solution to a very specific problem, then the process of getting that in the hands of people and making sure they make the most of it becomes that much easier. The second one is around data and data centricity. This is something that came up throughout the episode, unsurprisingly, but there is a untapped opportunity in providing a comprehensive view of how different teams or departments are performing and the patterns that may otherwise go unnoticed. And lastly, a great question that I kept reflecting on is whether you're a firm, a in-house team, a technology provider, or someone else, is what you're presenting going to delight your clients? Before we get into the core of the episode, if you enjoy the podcast and you'll love the Fringe Legal Newsletter, it provides a lot more in-depth analysis and links uh, that are related to innovation, transformation, and KM. So be sure to subscribe to that. It's completely free and you can find it at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. Now, without further ado, let's get straight into it. I'm so excited to have Julia Tlaski on the show. Julia is a lawyer and an entrepreneur. She has 15 plus years of experience in the world of legal and entrepreneurial adventures, let's call it. She started her career as a corporate lawyer at Linklaters before moving on to human rights law with the UN. Julia is the founder of two startups, both of which you may have heard of. The first is Crowd Justice, an award-winning funding platform for legal action. And second is Legal, a B2B SaaS platform that provides workflow solutions to law firms. And it focuses on client onboarding, client outreach, payment integrations. Some of these things we'll touch on. Mm-hmm. And Julia, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to be here. So two startups, of course, you enjoyed the first one so much that you wanted to do it again. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and you've been a solo founder on both the businesses? I have, yeah. I founded both businesses. Crowd Justice was truly solo founding experience and legal has we had a, we had a great team when we launched so that was a slightly different a different more mature experience in, in all respects i was going to ask because hopefully you've learned plenty of lessons from all sorts of mistakes that tend to be made as you're learning something new so hopefully that helps with with the second startup and i know legal raised i think a series a in march so congrats on that as well thanks thanks very much and 
So I guess I'm assuming uh, things are going well, and at least there's a good vision in front of you. One of the things from the legal point of view, or legal the company point of view, you're looking to automate some of the workflows. Talk to me a little bit about how those conversations go when you're speaking to law firms, because they have a lot of very fragmented workflows. I'll be nice. And of course, automating and actually making things less fragmented does require a fair amount of behavioral change. So how did those conversations actually tend to go? Are firms excited about this? Is this something that you have to convince them they need to do? Or are they coming to you saying, we think there's a problem, or at least we're seeing others solving some problem? Do we have the same thing? It's a great question. And I, I think it's helpful maybe to start off with what legal focuses on. And a big part of that is how do you look at the, as you say, the fragmented manual processes that law firms do to run their businesses. So whether that's onboarding, compliance, payments, invoicing, et cetera. And actually, how do you make that super streamlined in a way that replicates the processes that law firms use now? So you mentioned behavior change. And I guess one of the big um, advantages that we've had is that because we understand the the processes that law firms have now, and as you say, they are different per firm and they are typically very manual, or at least the processes we tend to replace are very manual processes. What we're doing is saying we have workflows that you can build yourself that as a firm that literally just replicate the the processes that you do now manually. And because these tend to be processes that law firms can't charge for, this is a way that you can do things not just like more efficiently or not just in a way that means that you spend less time doing administrative tasks, but also in a way that drives a better client experience and in a way that surfaces better data back to the firm. So in fact, it's not a really big behavior change lift because you're replicating exactly what you do now, but with one click instead of 17 emails or whatever. And also you're doing that in a way that really powers a better client experience. So of course that makes sense. I suppose in practice though, there's some pushback, even if there is a direct mapping between what they're doing today versus how you might be able to automate that that process, then I suppose there is still some effort required to get there, right? So whether it's the implementation, whether it's even just thinking about what to automate, because just because something is automatable doesn't mean it should be automated. Who actually is doing the work? Is this for the, I guess, the law firm business operation side of things? Is it for the lawyers? Is it someone else? Yeah, so I guess there's a couple of questions in there. In terms of who's it for, we see our typical client is a firm that's doing between one and 100 million annual turnover. So we don't tend to sell to the magic circle in the UK, for example, but we sell to the sort of like firms that are might be doing processes, back office processes with their fee earners who are front and center. It may be a centralized team. It may be we work with finance teams, compliance teams. We have a lot of management level insights. So we tend to see that we permissions and departments and roles are all things that we baked into the product from the outset so that we could have managing partners seeing the business insights associated with with the transactional pieces that maybe the paralegals are doing. And what I mean by that is you can start to see which departments 
are onboarding more clients than other departments, which types of clients are paying faster than other types of clients, that kind of thing. And in terms of the first part of your question, which is around, does it still involve some behavioral change? Is it still hard to get adoption? Often at some firms, we'll have one or two real advocates. But the thing is, and, and I guess we've been really intentional about the way that we make it, it's cloud-based, It's you can get set up in a day. So unlike a lot of legal tech, there isn't like a really heavy implementation. You can just get started with one user. There's no per user seat fee. So actually it starts to be used more broadly as people start to like it. And that's something that's been really core actually to our kind of overall commercial strategy as a business. And that we think that focuses us quite um, robustly on delivering real value to law firms so that actually they want to use it and there's benefit to them and rolling out more broadly without us pushing for that. And that's something that I'm actually quite proud of in a way because I think it's enabled us to grow really quickly within the firms that we're operating in. Okay. And if I'm working through this in my head, so Mm -hmm. if I'm pitching legal to a firm, yeah, be my guest anytime yep. <laughs> you want to. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so I guess I, I guess the the value prop will go something like this, right? You are doing a whole host of things that are currently important and or critical for the business, but are being done in a very manual way. These are things that are a cost to your firm. You are not able to charge for these to the business. We are able to quite simply in a day, as much as in a day, set this up for you. So you much of this work is now automated. So that solves one problem, but the real value that you get is longer term, you are now able to start collecting data on what's happening in different parts of your business. So your paralegal and intake example. And then over time, you start seeing trends and you can get valuable insights in which levers do you need to push or pull in order to actually make the business more profitable or where you may need to take action if it's not profitable? Is that fair? Absolutely. I, the only missing piece from that, and that's a great summary, and you're welcome to sell legal you know, anytime. <laughs> but the only missing piece is I think the efficiency piece that you touched on at the beginning mm-hmm. There's a lot that goes with that. And some of that is client experience. And I think that's increasingly something we see as being important to law firms. Clients don't want to be emailed 15 times before you can start working for them, for example. The second thing is as basic as time to revenue and and faster, better cash flow. Another piece, and again, this depends a little bit who we're talking to at the firm, is risk because a lot of firms are doing things in a way because it's fragmented and firms might not say manual because it's email based. We would consider it quite manual, but information is being returned in a way that isn't really auditable. And because law firms, obviously we, we deal with some of the regulatory aspects of like, know your, know your client, know your business, et cetera. And getting information like that back in a fragmented way or a way that's, that is manual. So you're looking at an ID rather than automatically checking it against 3000 data sources or whatever is higher risk. So there's a lot of value prop around actually automating those processes, which are not just around efficiency, although that's part of it, but then you're absolutely right on the kind of downstream aspect, being able to see what does all of this transactional information show to me as a firm is of course, like hugely valuable. Yeah. And from a, the client experience piece, are clients getting, I guess, a second order benefits of 
this or are they getting are they exposed to i'm going to call it a platform i don't know if that's the right word but are they exposed to the platform or are they just getting the benefits because the firm is much more polished <laughs> yeah no so it's a good question so they there is client facing aspects of it so for example in the onboarding piece is a good example they're seeing beautiful firm branded flows a web app based flow so that they can upload documentation, do things in two minutes rather than in five or 10 back and forth emails, et cetera. And what we see, one of the most interesting ways we've acquired customers, law firm customers, is actually because of law firm A has instructed law firm B. And law firm A has seen our client-facing flows as, you know, qua client and has come to us directly to say, we'd quite like this for our firm. And that's the best, that's the best client. Absolutely. That we, you know, Refer- referral marketing, <laughs> that's automated for yeah. sure. Awesome. And I think actually this has come up a number of times with guests before. To me, this seems like a bit of a bleed from consumer facing experience, but bringing that to the business realm. Because if you're signing up to most consumer tech and tech I'm defining as even things like Netflix or Hulu or whatever you're using, you get a really nice, smooth onboarding experience. Whereas that's not always the case when it comes to the B2B context. And I'm not picking on legal. I think pretty much most verticals are pretty poor at this. And this just modernizes that for lack of a better word. That's great. Talk to me about data. And I was browsing the site before. I saw some beautiful screenshots of dashboards and things with insights and the word data everywhere. I can see certainly a big play (laughs) for the importance of data, because if you are getting all of these different data points, Eventually, of course, it's a longer term play, you can do a lot more with it. And some of these things are probably being measured today, whether they're being reported or not is a whole other question. And other things are likely not being measured or difficult to measure. So how are you thinking about that? What's the importance of data and insights? Yeah, so it's a great it's a great question. I think there's a, a few different kind of key applications in the context that we're operating in. It is an area where we see that we can add a lot of value is that a lot of firms don't know things like how different departments are performing as against other departments. They don't know how many clients drop off in their onboarding flow. They don't know actually, and this is something that we included almost as an afterthought in a dashboard. It's one of the things people love the most is what time of day do clients do things? Because then you can start doing all sorts of, whether it's marketing or whether it's actually just knowing how long something takes to on the client side, all of these things become areas where you can create a better business foundation as, as a law firm. The thing that we're starting to do more of, which I'm really excited about, is actually being able to show you on a client level how valuable clients are, how high risk clients are, relational information that could help, again, with like better, better foundational business information. And I think in technology companies, as that kind of information is um, fundamental. And I think with law firms, especially because a lot of processes are manual, you just lose a lot of that information. I was thinking as you were talking about that, uh, and in a more standard tech startup, you'd be thinking around your customer acquisition costs, the lifetime value, and I honestly don't know if firms are tracking this. Uh, I assume they are to some degree, but now you can at, at least have a metric to say, great, um, because then you can start thinking around our lifetime value of our average customer or our churn is X. If Even if it costs us 10,000 pounds or dollars to acquire that customer, great, that's fine, as long as we can retain them for X years. Um, I don't know how much of that's being tracked. Absolutely, today. absolutely. And that's the direction of travel for 
And I guess one of the things I think a lot of a lot lo, clients are lawyers' greatest assets, and like really being able to understand that asset, for want of a better word, is important. And I think in our experience, lawyers have such a great kind of mental model of a journey that a client will go through. For example, they might in a startup's life cycle, you might you raise money. You're probably going to raise money again in 18 months. You're probably going to need some employment law in the middle of that. You might need some corporate law, some tax advice, whatever. And then maybe three, five years later, you're going to go through an acquisition or some sort of liquidity event. They've got that mental model, but they don't really have a way of viewing it and of really interrogating it and seeing patterns over time across their client base. And I think there's really interesting opportunities there. For sure. And do you see this in the future as then becoming the main way that a firm interacts with all of their matters? Or is this more still a business insight, a business intelligence kind of play for you? It's a great question. We see a lot of different areas where we can add value. And I, I think for us, certainly the short to medium term is really focusing on the business operations piece. And I think even things like we see payment as being a really fascinating part of our platform and a part that that law firms really derive a lot of value from. And and there are so many directions where we're tempted to go, but probably keeping to our focus and enriching the product that we have is the thing that we're really focused on in the near term. And. Well, you you mentioned you're focusing on on firms that are one to 100 million in turnover. What's special about those firms, right? Because you do have a much more longer tail of the market as sub 1 million, let's call it pounds for ease. And certainly, obviously, the silver, maybe magic circle and beyond unclassified firms are making well above 100 million um, in turnover. What's special about that segment? Or is that just you needed to define something to focus on initially? No, it's a good question. I guess what's unique about that segment is that A, the decision-making framework tends to be reasonably streamlined. So not totally streamlined, but different, I think, than in what is effectively like a multinational enterprise that is the magic circle type of firm. Two, and potentially related, though, though I don't know, you see a lot of literature about this, which we didn't know when we started necessarily, but that segment of the market tends to be faster adopters of technology. We just knew the pain points. I don't think the pain points are necessarily different, but the product to solve those pain points is probably a bit different. And we just have really clear product market fit in this mid-market professional you know, services, legal space, where we focus really heavily on making the product specific to the needs of that legal mid-market. And what I mean by that is everything from the nuances of who might review a client due diligence report and like how many reviewers you might need to review that to who needs permissions to see that to whether you're talking about clients in from which departments you have in your firm and how you onboard law firm users onto the platform in a way that ensures that we're giving them the best data for their law firm operation. That I think is slightly different from firms that have a radically larger client base or different client base. Yeah, and that makes sense. And the, the key thing is the product market fit. To go back to your other point around how you're acquiring some of your customers, the firms are, let's say, near the 100 million turnover mark, will likely be working with firms that are much bigger, maybe two or three X figures. 
And at least you're still getting exposure to the much higher end of the market and the same thing on the other end of the extreme. How are you thinking around what is happening in the market? I read a lot and I see a lot of headlines around lawyers are going to be replaced by robots. Things are being automated. <laughs> People are going to be all of that versus what the reality is in a day-to-day -day basis and a practical basis. I'm just curious about your views. Where do we sit in the world of reality versus the myths that are shared sometimes in, in social? Yeah, it's funny because I sit on a panel of, of people who are much smarter than I am and thinking about these issues. One of them said to me, what you're doing at legal is like super interesting, but it's not really revolutionary or disruptive. And I guess the way that I think about it is that when you look at this industry and you look at the needs that people have and the pain points that people have, solving problems that are fundamental to the way lawyers work enables lawyers to focus on the work that highly skilled professionals that they are can do best. And I don't have a view as to whether in five years or 10 years or 25 years, you can train AI to, to do those jobs, but the work that lawyers do is so varied, so technical and so human centric that actually enabling them to do that work in a way that allows them to focus on the highest value piece of that, I think is where there's real opportunity in this space. Be solving a problem with technology and not and, and just pointing to the fact that technology can improve and advance and become super sophisticated doesn't necessarily solve the problem that people are trying to solve at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree with you because there are at least two streams. One is there are plenty of companies and out there and people out there working to solve a problem that actually many probably don't realize that exists today, but there are still plenty of things that need to be improved with the current process as they are, because most of the changes are not going to be just a snap of a finger and the world has changed into something else. You want to do all of these really cool things that will probably put you miles ahead of anyone else awesome, but you need to make sure your house is in order first from a foundational basis. You need to make sure that you can't spend so much time thinking of the next shiny, great thing when you are not able to bring on board clients and they can't have a smooth experience as they're coming on board because, and even if you have the best offering, you have no clients. So absolutely absolutely and i guess like with any technology whether it's in the legal space if you think about what are the problems that people are trying to solve it's it sounds meta i guess when you say allow but that like end clients are trying themselves to solve problems yeah for, for sure and the last thing what are some emerging either trends topics or tech Side of legal, we'll, we'll exclude that from the list that you are starting to either notice or that are on your radar as but this could be interesting if it takes off, or at least you're hearing a lot more about. And just to, as you think about that, just to give you two examples, one has been access to justice tech um, that's been emerging. It's certainly been around for a while, but there's a lot more attention to it today. Uh, crap justice, of course, in that family. And the second has been around things like no-code platforms and more robot process automation RPA platforms as well, with the likes of UiPath having a massive IPO. So those are two examples. There are many others, but yeah, I just wondered if you had something on your radar. One of the interesting things that I see is that when a space takes off like contract lifecycle management, it seems suddenly there's a million players in that space. And I'm very curious with 
some of the more competitive spaces like that, what's the end game? And is there someone that rises to the top? With no-code platforms, because we have no-code workflows, we're adjacent, if not in that space, definitively. And I think one of the, and UiPath is like a different level altogether, but if I think in that space, you still need to be solving a problem and you still need the users at the law firm to understand what problem they're solving and to really be able to use the technology to do that. And I think as long as that knowledge on the law firm part continues to evolve, then the ability to do more and more process automation and more complex process automation will evolve. But ultimately, the user centricity of that and the ability of that product, and I think what we focus on is making that so easy to use for anyone at the firm, whether it's a paralegal, whether it's a managing partner, whether it's an IT person, anyone can use it. And I guess I do see from that, at least in the mid-market where we are, that level of user focus is, is what creates a great product. And so I guess the other trend that I would suggest is going to come to the extent it hasn't already in the legal space is one that's come to other sort of business focused software, which is like the consumerization of that software and uh, making business software feel like consumer software. And you alluded to it earlier on, actually, in terms of what do your clients want? But actually, I think what do you want if you work at a law firm? firm, you want the software that you use to be as easy as Netflix for you or as easy as whatever your kind of tools that you use in your daily life are. And that's something that that we focus on a lot and that I think is the future of probably all business software, but especially in the legal space. Yeah. And I think that hopefully that's a natural thing that happens because those that are designing, developing, and otherwise working on those products are using a lot more in their personal lives and whether they like it or not, they're going to be influenced by it, which is good, right? Because then they get to benefit and everyone gets to benefit and also makes it a lot easier to your point. If a user knows roughly, especially when it's a web-based tool, generally the, and there's a, you know, obviously a big field of study around the UX should feel, it should feel predictable to the user, right? If they click yeah. the minimize looking button, it should minimize whatever the window is because if it doesn't, then people don't like that. They're trained many times a day to do that action. Totally. And I don't know what you guys um, see at Atara, but we definitely focus on delighting our customers. And that is different. That's something that I think is not actually, it's not a hugely high bar because a lot of legal software is so old school and it's hard for it to evolve. And that's actually one of the things I love the most about about this job is that customers love it because it's easy to use. And I, as you say, because people are getting used to that in other realms, that, that will come across the board, I think, which is really exciting. And there's absolutely an art and science to actually making things simple yet useful because you can go far absolutely uh, on both direction julia thank you so much for coming on if people want to find out a bit more i assume legal spelled l-e-g-l dot com is the place to go place to go that is well spelled good domain and and if they want to connect with you linkedin is the best place it is linkedin is the best perfect. place to be perfect i appreciate you coming on and thank you so much i will be keeping an eye on how you guys develop and grow and i'm sure there's exciting things to come i appreciate you coming on today brilliant thank you so much for having me up 
So that's it for today. I hope you loved listening to that conversation as much as I did recording it. If you found the episode entertaining and enjoyed it, then please forward it to one other person. It could be your friend, your colleague, your enemy, someone that you think will find some value from listening to this episode. I'll be eternally grateful for it. This show was produced for Fringe Legal by yours truly, Abhijat Sarasworth, with special thanks to Julia Salaski for her time and a wonderful conversation. And until next time, stay well. <laughs>